Here's a quick message from one of the sponsors of this episode, Next Data. So that's Jamak's company. She wants to let people know that she is hiring. So here she is. Yeah, we're looking for kind of distributed systems engineers to come and solve these problems that you and I just talked about and building those catalyst technologies. So if you're one and you're listening, just come to our very uh, basic job site on our website, uh, nextdata.com. Yeah, and we'll, we've got a, a link to that in the show notes for all of these episodes as well. So, thank you. Yeah, I've, and and you know, from working with you uh, personally on different uh, projects and things, I, I can say it's it's a blast working with Jamak. It's 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 high empathy and high like mental throughput, but it's also like high kind of focus on what what are you actually trying to do. So, I I do recommend other folks uh, check that out as well. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This episode is part of a longer interview I conducted with Jamak Dagani, who's the founder of the Data Mesh concept and is sponsored by her, her company, her startup Next Data. The goal of these conversations is to dig deeper into specific topics rather than skimming the surface and really discuss Jamak's view of the now and the future of Data Mesh. What is possible now? What can we do to set ourselves up for success in the in the future? And what is our ideal picture in that future once we have the ways of working and the tooling more figured out? Hopefully, you get some great insights as well as seeing the other side of the funny and wonderful person behind the data mesh paradigm. Please do follow Jamak as well for more interesting insights to keep an eye out on what she is working on. I think you'll be very interested and excited. Now, up next, I'll give a bit of my summary of the episode, so you might focus on a few of the nuanced points that Jamak makes. Sometimes she says some things that are kind of like a picture, right? Worth a thousand words in and of themselves, even when she says one sentence. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and hear some fun music, and then we'll get into that summary. <laughs> Max Corner 23, Driving to Resilient Data Value Now and in the Future. So this is part of a longer conversation I had with Jamak recorded in March of 2023. She starts this part of the conversation with covering Postel's law, which is a software kind of law of be conservative in what you do, be liberal in what you accept from others, right? How did we make things less tightly coupled and more resilient in operational software? Producers there on the services side can make changes without everything falling apart. How can we take what we've learned in software about loose coupling and resiliency and apply that to data? I'm just not seeing a lot of information about how to do this. Services world also uses consumer-driven contracts as code, but the consumers in that case are typically software engineers. Can we get there in data where we often don't have as you know, kind of sophisticated 
of a consumer that might not be able to do that contracts as code as easily. And we don't have the tooling to make that contracts as code very easy. And just because there is a contract in place, does that contract take care of everything? Will, will nothing ever change? You know, of course, the answer is a flat no. But that's not what consumers want to hear, even if it's what we all need to hear. You know, consumers don't want to be told things might change. That hasn't been kind of the general story in data around the, the data warehouse. It's we'll keep producing this no matter what, even when all the meaning has been lost. That's kind of what people are used to. So how do we get people more used to a little bit more flexible of a model? You know, hopefully we can get them to lean in, but it's not, you know, it, it's not easy in a lot of cases. In general, we need better communication and data between producers and consumers, whether that is in the code or the person-to-person -person conversations. We need to learn how requirements should be handled. Schmack was talking about on the services, the operational side, the consumers just say, here are all my requirements, but we've seen requirement stuffing in data and <laughs> it goes really poorly. So how do we move from that to something that actually works in data? And then Schmack said, quote unquote, we have to level up. We can't repeat the past mistakes. Let's not be silly and fool ourselves just because we have a schema. Now we have an amazing system, right? We can't, we should, we really, really should reflect on what the operational, the services side has done so we don't have to make the same mistakes. Now, here's something that I think is a little bit controversial maybe from Jamak's point of view. So Jamak believes that in data, we need to think about how this data could be also used in the future so there might be additional value derived down the, you know, way in the future kind of thing. We have to think about and build for future use. That includes reuse, which is what a lot of people talk about, but it also includes some forecasting what your data might be useful for, almost a, what she called a forward compatibility. Personally, I don't know about this. It's it's hard to do, you know, your data work as as is right now. And when there isn't a specific value to it, should we really be doing that? This is pretty counter to what most people are saying and seeing thus far. I hope we get there with data, but you know, especially right now, domains are just learning how to do data well. Let's mark this as a future goal, I think, rather than saying, and domains as you're learning, you also have to forecast the future as to how your data might be used. I think it's something that we have to keep an eye on, but I, I, I think Jamak is going against kind of a lot of folks out there in her view on this. And that's totally fine, but I just want to mark that and say that it's kind of an interesting point to really think about. Okay, with that shortest summary of the episode done, let's go ahead and get to actually hearing from the woman herself, Jamak Degani. Before services, well, this is when TCP/IP came to exist. We had Postal's law, right? Be very conservative with what you do, and be um, forgiving. Be very forgiving in what you receive. 
so that while there is a contract, these are very loose contracts, as in the provider has the right of changing that contract without the consumer falling apart. So this is strict schema-based um, code generations from the schemas, very, very brittle. Again, you can't really apply the postals well. So I think, um, and even having a schema for contracts or not, like it was a point of conversation in, in many conversations that, and they're both sides, they're pros and cons to each of those. Where we landed was these sort of APIs that create one level of interaction from the actual structure of the data. Their APIs were forgiving. They're um, not strict schemas in, in, in some cases. Uh, you can accommodate versioning and changing them. And then in some, in, in some extreme cases, even these kind of the data itself being immutable. So you don't have updates anymore. So your surface area for change reduces. So you just serve immutable data. So again, I don't have very coherent, I guess, I opinion about this, that I'm just seeing history repeating itself. And we are starting from a more primitive place or a mature place because we use data and data structures as a big component of that contract. And the moment we create this, you know, very strict structures, not loose structures, we're creating a very brittle. So they are necessary, the data APIs on one level of indirection, fantastic idea. We need to have them, but we need to be very mindful and not naive around how effective they can actually be. So the modeling language of those APIs how they can evolve and applying postals, like all those good practices that we learned in the services world need to kind of come and be applied in this more data heavy world, I, I suppose. Yeah. And, and one thing that I, I, my brain kind of broke a little bit on it when you were saying it, because I just couldn't imagine it was because again, I, I am used to, you know, kind of very structured kind of the schema, you know, you, you break anything and it breaks mine as a consumer. So you saying, hey, we need to make it so that consumers can continue to consume, but that it's flexible and that it, you know, is that something that the platform needs to, to create? Is it that we need to treat that consumers need to find new ways to actually consume from them? Is it that we're figuring that out. <laughs> I think it's the modeling language. And of course, the platform abilities or the code abilities for reading and the expectations of how we read these contracts, right? So for example, um, this idea that I have this data structure written on wire and I'm loading that exact data structure back up, uh, a serialized data structure on one end, according to the contract, schema, whatever that contract is written in, and I am deserializing data exactly based on that structure on, on, on completely different computational units, right? Different context, some service or some data processing node, some in a far distant uh, distance. The, this idea, I think, is fundamentally flawed. So we had a whole lot of techniques in data processing for applications 
for services, for example, that allowed you to be more flexible. So that idea of Postel's Law, be very forgiving with what you expect. Only look for elements that you care about. Don't load and don't expect that a whole structure based on your definition of that structure, your understanding of that structure is going to load. Just look for elements, search for elements that you care about and just deserialize those things, right? And that actually led that approach led to consumer-driven contracts in the services world that consumers would define what they care about they define them as code, they provide it to the producer, and the producer makes sure that when they make a change to their contract, to their APIs, they're not breaking existing consumers' assumptions because you just don't know what consumers have assumed. Um, so I think, I guess all I'm saying is that APIs are great. Having a data modeling language that articulates what that API is Fantastic. We've done this. We've done this many times. We've got REST. We've got GraphQL. We've got algebraic data languages that defines, you know, data types that ADTs in TypeScript. Like we've got so many different tools for defining model, um, for modeling data. And that's awesome. We just can't be so naive <laughs> about it. Just because we have a contract, the world is going to be a happier place. Um, we just have to be very cognizant of this. How can we define contracts, but be, they're, they're, they have resiliency built into them or change built into them because the world of data is going to change and change very fast. Yeah, I, I've started to say that everybody needs to register as a consumer, their use case with the producer because of exactly what you're saying of people are coming across these data products and they start consuming from them and the producer never knows what matters, right? So, hey, I've got these 15 columns because my initial use case said they need these 15 columns. Oh, you know, that that producer, you know, stops, but I've got 10 new consumers and I don't know what they want. I don't know why they're using this. So I have to, you know, try not to adjust when it could be that they don't care about half of these columns or that they care about, hey, you know, timeliness is way more important than accuracy or you've been, you know, your completeness isn't great. So I have to do a bunch of work and we have these silent consumers and having those actual human to human conversations, but that you can also address that in the code so that, that there is code based checking and there is human based checking or I'm just not seeing it from, from data. And that, I don't know if that's because the consumers aren't sophisticated enough. If, if it's not that the tooling and the, the, you know, techniques and things aren't sophisticated enough, but it's, it's just keeps coming up over and over. Yeah, it's because we don't have peer to peer communication because we have a middleman, right? Because data machines tries to resolve this, right? In the services world, we don't have this problem because people talk to each other. Like service consumer talks to service providers. They put their requirements right there to the person who's responsible for that requirement to be implemented and is in a best position to implement it. In the data world, you've got pipeline people in the middle, ingestion people somewhere, pipeline people in the middle, serving people down the stream. Like you've got these middlemen in, in the way. So who do you even go to to have that conversation? It's not, it's not directly with the source of data. So 
data mesh tries to change that and at the macro level create this kind of mesh topology of peer-to-peer communication. And that communication could be a consumer to producer requirement communication, um, human communication, or or tech, like a um, protocol communication, right? Computer protocol communication. Um, but, but there is just one thing that is very different about data. This is all great. Talking to consumers, understanding what they want. Fantastic. We have to do it. Uh, one nuance about the data is that these sophisticated data use cases, whether it's analytics and looking at the past trends or, you know, kind of predictions, discovering patterns to make predictions, these use cases will come to exist in future, looking in the past data that the owner of that data no longer exists or the producer of that data may no longer exist, right? Because you, let's say in five years from now, we find this really amazing, um, I don't know, drug discovery or that is going to look at the data that we produced five years back or 10 years back. And that producer might have already moved on. So at the time of production, you almost have to look at your crystal ball and do the opposite of what service people do, right? Service people look at the, they say, don't build something if there is no consumer for it. So they look at what's needed and they go build it. Data people almost have to think about, okay, with AI and ML, <laughs> what, what all this data that I have to generate so that one day somebody can go come and tap into it and generate insights from it. So I think there is a nuance there um, that just is con- knowing your consumer. It's helpful, but you can't, you can never know all of your consumers because they just haven't been born yet. And, and right now, the feedback has been that that if there isn't a use case, don't do it. Right, like that has been the thing on data because I think we're still seeing that value chasm, right? Of hey, can I do this in a, an effective way? You talked about that, you know, uh, uh, on the services side, a consumer goes to a producer and says, "I have these requirements," and I don't want to trivialize building an API and things like that. But in a lot of cases, it's not that hard because it's based on what current information you have, right? Like it's based on serving a single request versus in data, it's like, oh, I have to go back and process this massive amount of data to serve your request. And I'm, am I serving it upon request? You know, AB and AMRO talked about this. The Mahmoud Yassin episode was talking about they have kind of smart uh, platform that says, should we combine this or, or is this something, you know, ahead of time or is this something that only when somebody pulls this query, should we then go and do the work because it's not done that often or it's very, very quick and easy to do and it's low cost to do it that way rather than store the results and all of those those kind of questions. But I mean, is it that data just has all of these additional complications. So we're, we're learning the, the lessons from the past and then, but it's, it's, it's not as if the past is repeating itself. It's just that it rhymes. And so we, we can take what we've learned historically, but is that kind of what you're seeing? Yeah, we have to kind of level up. We, we can't repeat the past mistakes. So let's not be silly and fool ourselves just because we have a scheme or not. We have, you know, an amazing system. That's just baseline. I think we should 
just learn from things that didn't work out with these data contract schemas and so on, those tightly coupled data schemas, particularly very fragile. So let's learn from that. And then on top of it, we've got to now level up to, uh, to, to deal with this additional complexity that we just, the data is going to be used in future um, that we don't even know what that is. And this is our responsibility today to provide the data for future um, use cases. Of course, we can't be unreasonable about it, right? Uh, build for something that will never come, but at least we can see hint of it in the horizon. Um, and that that creates like, you know, it's like fa- backward compatibility easy and then forward compatibility hard. So you have to be not only backward compatible, but forward compatible as well for this feature that you haven't seen. So that, yes, there are additional uh, complexities and I'm like, super pumped about somebody solving it. <laughs> so thanks again to Jamak. As a reminder, please check out her startup, Next Data. There's more information about it in the show notes. They're doing some pretty amazing things. She's hiring lots of folks looking to partner with others and just kind of check it out. And as for me, please do follow up with me as well. I'm pretty easy to find. I'd love to chat data mesh or anything kind of in the data realm. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information, some useful resources and things as well. And Jamak and I both wish you an excellent rest of your day. Now with that, let's cue that inspiring outro music.